everyone, this is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing in life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can find Author Magazine at authormagazine.org. We're funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. To learn more about the PNWA, go to pnwa.org. Well, I had a great conversation with Caroline Miller, interesting woman, written a lot of different stuff. She also was in politics, so we got to talk about her odd journey through Oregon politics and how it led to writing. Really cool woman. I'd been on her podcast, which was where we got to discuss a book as a group. And so I got to have her on mine. I was really excited uh, to do so. Caroline is, as I mentioned, a former elected member of the County Commission of the Multnomah County, Oregon, and a published author, of course. Since leaving the political arena, she has been a prolific writer. She has published three novels, uh, Trump Loyal, Gothic Spring, and Heartland. Her short stories have been published in Children's Digest, Grit, and Tales of the Talisman. And her short stories, Under the Bridge and Beneath the Moon, were dramatized for radio in Oregon and Washington. Her two-act play, Woman on the Scarlet Beast, was performed by the Post 5 Theater Company in Portland, Oregon, and Getting Lost to Find Home, which is what I talked to her about, is her first memoir. Also very interesting. So... Very cool conversation, of course, and I'm glad I get to share it with you now. Enjoy. Okay, look, it's Caroline Miller. Caroline, how are you? I'm fine, Bill. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I've listened to your other programs, and I'm not sure I can keep up with you, but I will try. I will sure try. (laughs) Keep up. You are the subject of this little conversation, my dear. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you we're talking because you've got a new memoir out. Your first yeah. memoir, Getting Lost to Find Home. But, uh, you know, you've led an interesting life. Now, this particular book focuses on just one part of it. But um, I'd like to back up a little bit because you, you've done a lot of stuff um, in, your, in your life, including... Uh, you know, you exist in the Wikipedia world uh, in large part because of your life in politics. You yeah. were you were down in Oregon. What uh, whatever compelled you to <laughs> to do that? I suppose a civic duty. What was it? Talk to me about that. Well, um, first of all, I was very active in the AFL-CIO. I'm a union goon. Oh, I- OK. I headed a teacher's union, uh, and uh, from that, I got, you know, unions and politics are, yeah. are the same, and um, then I ran, just for the fun of it, to run for a metro council. It's a regional government we have here, right? and uh, it was a brand new government. You know, we had to make it up. It was just chartered. What do you and, mean a brand new government? Describe that to me. The voters had just voted it in. It had no laws, no governance, nothing. So they they voted in that they like that this is a new region. Yeah. We're our own thing now. We're not part of them. We're now part of ourselves. Is that right? Right. right. Oh, so, wow. So we had the fun of actually 
you know, I'm a kind of Thomas Jefferson creating a government. (laughs) (laughs) And then somebody tapped me to run for uh, a larger local office. And my crime is now etched on Wikipedia. It's not my proudest moment. Politics is not my thing. Uh, What is... We're going to, I promise we're going to leave politics, but I always find people's <laughs> life journeys interesting. What part of it did you like and what part did you not like? Well, <clears throat> with the Metro government, I loved creating the rules and I was in charge of the, <clears throat> excuse me, of the labor committee. So, you know, uh, we wouldn't have any strikes under those rules. You know, <laughs> they were really pro, pro worker. Okay. But county government was a bigger bowl, and uh, I got to kind of see the inner workings of the power structure, and I decided this wasn't for me. So after I got turned out, and uh, I didn't want to run for anything else. Yeah, that was enough for you, because you do have, I've always thought, like, you know, I follow politics, sort of, you know, the way a lot of, I guess, if you follow it, you do. I'm not, I've never been an active member of it. Anyway, um, except I did go to a caucus and then was chosen to be the next level of delegate. And then I was like, I am enough, enough. <laughs> but, you know, the artist in me just rebels against it because if it's like you, you, it, you, it isn't, you have to watch what you say, it seems to me, on a level that rubs me the wrong way. Is that fair? Well, in the good old days, but I mean, if you look at, if you look at the House of Representatives, it's wide yeah, well, apparently open. not. Yeah, that's it's, right. <laughs> it's a new standard altogether. Yeah, well, that's There's true. No such thing as quote unquote being politic anymore. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it, it makes it, me wistful. <laughs> yeah, me too. You know, it's a it's a it's a whole new ball game there. So I'm glad I got out early. So you were doing the AFL CI. Oh, teachers union. So were you a teacher? Was that, was that? Yeah, when, when, when I got home from Africa, which this, right. Book, yeah. upon, uh, I had, I went to England. I thought I was going to get married. I was yeah. deeply in love. I got dumped. <sighs> a fellow teacher wanted me to go to Africa with her. And I thought, oh, well, there's a place you know, to mend a broken heart. This was, yeah. I knew nothing about it. <clears throat> Didn't even know where I was going, but England was recruiting right. and I was in, in England. So I ended up in what's now called Zimbabwe. And um, so when I got back from Africa, uh, well, so I taught school in England while I was waiting for my fiance to graduate. And so they made me a school teacher in Africa. And when I came back seemed to America, it seemed that I might foist myself on other innocent minds. <laughs> I think they probably could do a lot worse than you, Caroline. I, I, so I, one of the questions I like to ask my writers who uh, published their first work, because you, you, at some point you, your writing really took off and you wrote and published quite a bit in short stories, novels, mm-hmm. plays. Um but I always ask, where was the writer when you were teaching and when you were politicking? What was the writer doing? Was she writing? Was she just reading voraciously? What was going on? Well, certainly, I, I like your last question because um, 
when I hear somebody say, well, I don't like to read, but I'm going to write a book. (laughs) You know, my hair kind of falls out and clumps all over. You cannot write unless you are a voracious reader, in my opinion. But I, I know I wrote as a kid, you know, it was in my genes, but I was canny enough to know that probably you couldn't get a lot, buy a lot of bread with your you wings. S- right. You saw the impracticality of it. Exactly. I mean, I, and I have to say to our listeners, though, I only, I always have to put this out there. People do make a living writing. Some of them, for, it, it does happen. It's true. Caroline speaks the truth. It's more challenging. There's not, like, if you want to be a teacher, they will pay you to teach and you don't have to do a lot. You don't have to jump through tremendous hoops necessarily compared to the writing where it's like there's no clear path. Whereas in teaching, That's my right. sister's a teacher, That's you go to right. school, you get the degree, you start teaching. But it can happen. It does. So don't, you know, don't worry. But obviously, it's a lot well, less. Well, let me add, you know, out there may be listing another J.K. Rawlings. That's know. right. Go for it. I would yeah. never deprive someone of uh, trying for the dream. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um so here's a question. I know this may, it sounds probably so obvious to you, but I'm going to, I'm going to have you explore it even further. You said rather casually that you just don't think you can be a writer unless you read voraciously. Why? Talk to me about why you think those two, I mean, it seems obvious, but maybe as you explore it, not so obvious. What is it? Why do you think that's so important? Well, you know, it, it's such a painless process, but you absorb a lot by reading other people's styles And of course, I've written so much now that I not only read it and enjoy it, I sometimes correct it mentally. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, welcome to the club. Welcome to that club. Oh, that's a bad sentence, you know, that sort of thing. You become become one of those uh, annoying wine aficionados, you know. (laughs) 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 So you have to be careful. But no, reading the brain just morphs into literary styles and the more you read the more you have to pull from when you try to be creative yeah i i do think it's true i do think you you know you know this is interesting i have you ever you may not have done this but have you ever gone to a of course you're down there in oregon willamette has a willamette writers organization wonderful organization it's a great conference every year where they pitch. Have you ever done a pitch where you've had to sit in front of an agent and editor and pitch your book in, you know, six sentences or less or whatever? Have you ever done that? At the conferences? No, I never okay. have. So I've, I was teaching that recently and it occurred to me, this is interesting, actually, I don't know what you think, what you just said about reading, that when writers write a pitch or a query, which is like a two paragraph description of their book, they're doing something that they've never done before. And I'll try to get off my soapbox here. But if you write a poem, you've read a poem. And you say, oh, this is what a poem looks like. Okay, I'm going to write. Or you've read a novel. Or you've read a play. No, almost no writer who has to write a pitch has ever read a pitch. A lot of times they don't even know what it is. So they're having to compose in a genre that, so to speak, that does not, that they are totally unfamiliar with. And that gives them a level of insecurity that would not be there if they had read a hundred pitches, say, which none of them ever had. Right. So I do think, and I had not occurred to me though this past summer when I was teaching people to pitch at a conference that I was like, God, these, that's right. I read them because I'm at a, I'm I'm the editor of a magazine. I mean, I've written them, but I also get a lot. And I'm like, I know bang, bang, whether I want to see the the piece or not. And that does help. So, okay. So maybe it goes to your point that the reading, although, although, 
There's that famous quote by Flannery O'Connor, which I'm sure you encountered too, which is everyone knows what a story is. I did a master is. paper on Flannery. You did? <laughs> I was you in did. graduate school, right? Okay, I hope I didn't misquote. So this is something I quote all the time, but I wonder uh, if Beware, misquote. beware. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I love the quote. And if she didn't say it, I did. But um, everyone knows what a story is until they try to tell one. I'm not familiar with that quote. I can't verify. Why not? It. Let's let's attribute it to she, her, shall we? She wrote a lot, and it's pithy enough to be her style. Yeah, <laughs> well, she did write manners and whatever it was. What was the name of that the collection of essays on writing? Um, man, magic and manners, or something like that. I forget what, what it was called. I should know that, but I don't think that's I, okay. So what? Do you, but the the reason I mention it is. Um, when you start telling stories, the reading is great, but then you start telling it and you realize there's certain things you just didn't take, you didn't fully understand about stories until you had to make a decision about every single sentence that went into one. Well, you know, uh, Bill, I think, and excuse me. It's okay. <clears throat> a little frog in my throat this morning, naturally, because I'm being in, in the Yes, naturally. <laughs> but um, one of the things that, my students always used to say is, um, I know what I mean, I just can't say it. And right. I used to say to them, if you knew what you meant, you could say it. <laughs> so, so a pitch is when you kind of face the truth. Yeah, you it's know. true. What is this Do thing? you know what you're doing? <laughs> you do know. It's why it's, it's as much as I gripe about it, like when I've had to write book proposals, uh, it does help me clarify what is this thing I'm asking them to like, what is this exactly? It's You've a, written a 1600 page saga. Yeah. Suddenly somebody wants you to tell you what it is in two sentences. Yeah. Right. That's the test. That is. Uh, oh, okay. So, so you've written, so you wrote a lot of short stories, pu wrote and published a lot of short stories, three novels, four, play, four, four, excuse me, excuse four. me. Four given. <laughs> I probably couldn't list the titles. Uh, uh, a play. Yes. Um, so all of this stuff is uh, fictional. I mean, a play is fiction. In other words, you're telling a story. All fiction has its roots, of course, in the truth. Mm -hmm. but stuff that has not happened, at least not all of it. And mm -hmm. then this point in your life, you decide you're going to dabble in the memoir. You know, tell the truth or some version of it. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, what yeah. compelled you to? Because, for instance, you know, you could have easily turned, easily turned this memoir into just a novel about a young woman in the sixties. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. But you said, no, no, I want to actually use my life to shape this. So, talk to me about the decision to do that first of all. You make me sound so intelligent. Well, you are clearly. You just keep my mouth shut. But <laughs> <laughs> the way it happened is the woman that dragged me off to deepest, darkest Africa yeah. died early. Uh, oh. She went to Australia after Africa, and her family, part of her family joined her. And they wrote me and asked if I would write some little memories of mm. the brain, uh, for the child that was not yet born, the grandchild. Ah, okay. And so I started writing a few of these stories. And as I wrote them, more and more of them came to mind. And and so I just wrote the book, you know. Oh, interesting. Ask, ask for a paragraph, I'll give you, you know, a novel. Yeah. 
They asked the wrong person. They didn't yeah. know what they'd be. You know, it's funny. I don't know if you, you hang around writers some, I suppose, in your life or you have. Oh, sure. And of course, I teach them. So one thing I have learned, if you, you you can ask this question, but if you ask it, you have to be prepared to sit down and listen. And that's, so tell me about your book. And if the person is willing to tell you, you could be a half hour later and <laughs> writers will tell you about their book. They will tell you. <laughs> In fact, from the writer's perspective, the restraint is try not to talk too much about it. Absolutely. And losing all your friends. <laughs> you know, it's one of the reasons I like to interview writers like you, Caroline, is to give them a chance to talk to someone who's actually going to listen about <laughs> who wants to hear about that. Because, you know, most of the people actually I just saw my wife just quoted this to me. Um, the wonderful Rachel Maddow, the news the part yeah, of her, MSNBC. Yeah, she's, she's lovely and she's a very interesting woman i find and she said don't never underestimate my wife came bursting into my office to tell me this quote never underestimate the value of a partner who is not interested in your work <laughs> <laughs> and my wife's a writer too but she doesn't read all my stuff and and i think that sometimes uh we need people who love us for ourselves and not just <laughs> i have a mercifully a few few friends like that, you know, couldn't care yeah. less. Right. Actually, because they know you in one capacity. Right. Not usually willing to transition their self-image of you into a new role model. That's, that's right. the truth, too. Yeah. You know, one of the things I, so I teach memoirs, when I teach like writing, because I usually teach something called fearless writing, which is really just the sort of psychological challenges of writing. But when I actually teach like how to write, I usually teach memoir. Actually, that is what I teach. And one of the things I tell my students, because I often get sometimes older students, maybe 50 plus or anything over that, who have this idea of writing things for their grandchildren or children. And one of the things I always tell them is like, I don't think they care. I'm going to be honest. I don't think they, like, I think they know you and they know you as they as some, the person they've talked to over the kitchen table. And those are more important. And, and this is what I'm curious about with you. I advise them, write it for some, imagine someone who doesn't know you. What, how do you tell that story for someone who doesn't love you, doesn't care about you, is never going to meet you? How do you make that story interesting to them? I don't know if you, because you initially started writing them for a specific person. Did it morph as you realized you were writing something else? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't, I'm picking up on your last writing something else because there's so much unconsciousness in writing. Oh yeah. Uh, that, uh, I just interviewed a uh, a gentleman uh, who had written his second novel, and I pointed out that, well, he hadn't just written a page turner. He'd written something that bordered on classics oh. and explained it to him. And his jaw just dropped, but he felt quite pleased by it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so his uh, unconscious was... He wanted to just write a good old-fashioned page turner, but right. he really touched on some classic themes and and had done it beautifully. Oh, and, well, it's so true. We have we rely on the subconscious. And I think that that's one of the things that the amateur writer doesn't may not appreciate, the degree to uh -huh. which like just sit down, shut up, and see what happens. Like you don't need to know everything, just see what happens. And that that feels, I think that as you get more seasoned, you trust in what you don't know and don't worry about it, maybe you're even excited by it. Does that resonate with you? Oh, it did. In fact, what and what this man said when I finished lecturing him about his book, <laughs> he said, "You know, I think you may be right because 
Well, the woman character who I thought was really classic tragedy, Madame right. Bovary and so forth, yeah. said, I just wanted to write this small little character. She wasn't meant to be made. Right. And she just took over. Shocking. And, yeah. That's <laughs> Shocking. Sometimes the writer's consciousness has to get out of the way. That's right. Oh, that's so interesting. So interesting. So when I write stuff about my past, when I write stories, I am always surprised by what comes up, what I remember, what I end up focusing on, what I care about, what I think it's like, for instance, what is the story about? I don't ever really know until I write it. Did, did you, in fact, I've got a client who thinks she's got some dark history. She thinks maybe some stuff happened in childhood. She doesn't know about, she doesn't have any memories. She And she's having trouble. I said, just start describing the kitchen table, just describe the living room. Things will come back. I do feel that that like sometimes as simple as just what did it smell like? What did the, did that happen to you? Because remember, so for our audience, she was writing a book set in the 60s is you know long time ago and so the memory is what it is you know you remember your version of it did stuff come back as you were recreating oh, that place and yes. time yeah that's what surprised me because you probably weren't writing it all down as it happened like james Cohen. No, I, I, bill i shouldn't admit that i have no notes i have a few that's okay nobody nostalgia cares. stuff that i kept yeah. for myself but no I, when I opened up that door, it just came flooding back. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And yet <clears throat> there are parts that I don't remember. A friend read the book in advance and she said, well, what about the VW? Where'd you get that? <laughs> little character that yeah. down in the book at a crucial moment. And uh, I still, for this moment, cannot remember yeah. where I got that. DW, but I can remember what I was wearing uh, the, the <laughs> day I almost got killed. So yeah, life is funny. It's life memories are funny. There's, there's a couple of experiences in my life that I, where I've written these stories up, and where certain things were said, and I feel like I am. It was such a distinct thing that was said to me at that time that I say, "Oh, I remember." But I'll tell you what I've had to accept is if somehow there was a camera that I didn't know about positioned you know, over my shoulder and I saw the tape and that wasn't said. In fact, I still wouldn't be shocked because I just feel like I really don't know. Like, I think I know, but I mean, let's, I'm recreating a feeling. I'm recreating, I'm I'm using memory to create something Mm -hmm. new in a way. Is that fair? Absolutely. Well, You're asking me if it's fair. Yeah. My first memoir, you teach memoir. I do. I want you. Hey, you know. Fair or not, I agree with you. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> well, I do like being agreed with, so that's good. Now, one of, one of the ways we know each other, or we've met, we met because, well, we were introduced to somebody. I still don't remember who it is who introduced us, but somebody introduced us. It was uh, Craig who did a peapod, uh, uh, a, a podcast on travels in Ireland. Ah, okay. He, you were done with him. He recommended that I contact you. Oh, did I interview him? I don't think I did. But um, but so you did, and we got to chat. And so you have your own podcast, or you are the host of a of a That's pod a video program, video podcast um, called uh, Just That's So. Funny. So his so <laughs> it's called. Or you can find it on YouTube. Just read it, but the word R E A D can be read two different ways. So when I first saw it, I thought it was just read it, just read it. 
<laughs> Will you please? Because you could say it that way too. Good school teacher type of right. right. So where you read a book, usually, a, well, not usually, it's a, the idea is it's a bestseller, something that is a, on the New York Times bestsellers. And mm-hmm. you get some people together talking. So we did that. We talked about um, the way of the bear. Was that what it was? Yes, called? yes. Andy yeah. Hellerman's latest book. Right. So we discussed it. It was a lot of fun. So you've been doing that for a little while. Yeah. I knew and. Oh, no, I said you've been doing that podcast for a little while. Oh, the podcast. Yeah, it's uh, we're heading into the 13th year. Oh, well, you've been doing almost as long as I've been doing my thing. Well, that's, that's... we're both oh, we're both pioneers. We are absolutely. So what do you think? Do you like it? Is it been have you what have you? What if what like what do you learn? What do you get out of that experience? Actually, I wasn't trying to get anything. I, as you pointed out, Bill, we've got so many wonderful artists here. Yeah, writers in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, we just blossom like weeds around. We do. We're <laughs> <true>. awful. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I just thought, well, what fun to. Um, get them together. Uh, obviously, nobody's going to watch a discussion of books by an unknown writer. So, hey, I'll pick New York Times bestsellers. Right. <clears throat> and so that gives them exposure and they get on and they talk a little bit about their books before we get into the nitty gritty. And so it gives them a little coverage. And that was the modus operandi. Then I I decided, hey, why, why don't I, you know, as a writer, you better be audacious if you have to promote your Absolutely. Book. There's no wilting willies here. So I thought, well, I'll just write one of these bestseller people to see if they'd like to be on the show. Yep. And I'm surprised. <laughs> of I mean, we've had some great writers that do it for free. Oh, absolutely. I still remember I reached out to Nora Efron's people and they were like, sure. Caroline Kennedy. Oh, yeah. I was like, do you, do you know amazing? who I am? <laughs> they, they're like, oh, yeah, we'll do it. Who you, knew, who, who you knew? I knew nobody. I wrote an email. You I know. know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, is it what would drive me crazy was when I would, I'd be, I'd interview Harlan Coben one day, oh, you know, or Lee Child. And then uh, and the next day, I read this literary novel by someone for, from Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux, first-time author, thought it was beautiful, wrote to them, said, hey, you know, want to be honest? No, she can't do that. I'm like, this guy who sells a million copies, he'll, <laughs> he does it, but she, uh, oh. Well, we will authors that do themselves share sometimes. some of those experiences, too. I'm There is one guy I'd love to get on my show because everybody thinks, and I think he thinks, but he's now not sure that he wrote a a, a, a a happy travel youth discovery thing. And really what he wrote was the great American tragedy. Ooh. He's not willing to come on. All right. Well, you know what? Such is life, these people. All <laughs> right, Caroline. So the book is Getting Lost to Find Home. It's, it's a great read. Uh, it's really lovely book. And, um, you know, Caroline brought all her, I think, considerable skill to this project and uh it showed so congratulations thank you thank you i mean i felt a little um audacious saying who the heck cares about my no, he, life? nobody cares about your life this That's is the right. truth they don't but they are interested in, so here's i this is my pitch nobody cares about you 
Nobody cares about me, but they care about themselves. So they read your book for themselves to learn, to discover something about themselves through your story. How's that? That's precisely it. And I will add one thing. If nobody cares what your triumphs are. No, no. <laughs> people want to know what your struggles are. They do. <laughs> but they can learn from it. And if you are not willing to drop the seventh veil, yeah. be truly odd honest with your audience of of all of your foolishness and expose it to show people how you used it to crawl out of the hole, then don't write a memoir because yeah. a memoir is exposure. It isn't a trumpet play. Oh, it would be so boring. So <laughs> you can't complain and you can't brag. You're writing memoir, you can't complain and you can't brag. You can't explain either. Oh, this is good. See, I love talking to memoirists. It's sort of what I am. Uh, Caroline. So again, it's getting lost to find home. Go buy it, people. I'm not quite done with you yet, Caroline. Oh, uh, okay. if, you've, if you've listened to some of these, you know what's coming. Maybe maybe oh. you know, maybe you don't. Oh, I got a question. I ask all my authors this. I ask all my authors this. I want you to think about I all the- i listened to several and my brain is not waiting for a question. Good, good. I want it to be, I want it to be spontaneous anyway. <laughs> oh, it'll be. <laughs> um, so think about all the writing you've done, all the fiction, the plays, the memoir, everything. And if it's taught you anything about being a person, about life, what is that? Oh, it's taught me my mental processes. Oh, interesting. I, I've learned how to communicate with myself. Good. It led to self-awareness. And I think that's a kind of zen. But when you go into that unconscious and you unleash it, and then you fight to express it in a way that others can understand, that teaches you self-understanding and boy, a lot of humility. I will add humility. <laughs> if you're an honest writer, if you know how hard it how hard it is to write and treat it seriously and treat it as I think probably you will, but more lightheartedly than me. It, it's pretty close to a religion. It's it's a dedication. Totally agree. Totally agree. Caroline, thank you so much. Elvis is fun. And I hope our paths cross again, maybe at the, one of the conventions. I bet it will. I bet it will. Okay, now you. I'm just trying to hang on. Wait a minute. Okay. I'm trying, there's the... she said i like how she said i've learned how to communicate with myself yeah it's true it's what writing teaches us how to do to really help understand ourselves how we think what we care about how we make decisions it's true it's true i want to thank my producer rj jeffries thank you my friend and i want to thank all of you out there for listening so uh listen until next week until next week the most important thing is to stay interested the most important thing is to be curious Curiosity is just love in action. So go find something you love to do and do it. <laughs>